uh, we're going to move on into our, like I said, our Bible study. And we're starting actually a new set of uh, foundational stones. You know how we're building on that foundation and different things to build our spiritual life on and uh, going back and checking our foundation. Of course, we started off with Jesus because everything's got to come off of Jesus. He's that chief cornerstone to which the whole foundation is built upon. And we talked about discipleship because if we're going to be building these things into our lives, we're going to have to have relationships with one another and strengthen one another and how God designed the body in such a way that we rely on one another to really help each other to grow. That's how he, he put us together. And then we talked about prayer. And that really focuses in on our connection with God and emotional uh, and real connection with him. Not so much connection with God in order to get God to get on board with our agenda, but prayer as we really saw and looked at it through looking at what Jesus taught uh, in, in, in what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's more about getting our hearts in focus and in tune and united with God's agenda. And uh, so we, we, we talked about uh, many different aspects of prayer. Now we're going to move on to the Word of God, uh, the Bible, God's direction and focus for our lives. In the Bible, the Word is pivotal. It's vital. It's so important. We cannot do without it. It's what guides us. It's what supports us. It's what builds everything else. We learn about prayer. We learn about discipleship. We learn about Jesus. We learn about faith all from the word. And it seems so obvious, you know, I said, well, of course, Tracy, that's true. But the, the truth is, is the word has been losing ground in our culture. It's popularity. It's importance. People relying upon it. Churches are using the word of God less and less they're, they talk about anecdotes and stories and things like this and pop culture and pop psychology instead of actually using the Word of God. Respect for the Word has been weakening. I looked up some stats about Americans and how Americans uh, 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 relate to the Word, what they think about the words. And these are a little bit old, not, not really old, although they were trending downward even as uh, the numbers I looked about, because I, I was looking and said, what, does the Bible still matter in America? Where is it at? Where is, as a culture, as a people? Now, I looked at this. Now, 88% of Americans still own a Bible. Now, I think that number probably would go up if, if we looked at every single smartphone or every single uh, digital pad or whatever, you know, they can all get the Bible. And I'm talking about actual Bibles, okay, the, the, the actual leather-bound paper Bible. 88% of the Americans uh, own one. The average American owns 3.5. I don't know what the point five. maybe that's a pocket New Testament or something, I don't know. But 3.5 Bibles and 24% of them actually own six Bibles or more. So people have Bibles. They have them in their homes. Uh, of those numbers, 79% of, 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 of our community, Americans, ages 18 to 28, have a Bible. So campus students, teens, you're thinking nobody reads the Bible, none of my peers or whatever. 78% of your age group, your demographic, own a Bible. 
Now, for the other end of the spectrum, the number goes way up. Uh, 65 and older, 95% have a Bible. Maybe we're thinking, you know, I'm ending that time of life. I better find out what's in the Bible. I don't know what the reasoning is. But just owning a Bible doesn't say a whole lot. As a matter of fact, 59% of Americans who have no faith affiliation whatsoever or at least identify themselves as atheists, 59% of them have a Bible and own one. It's kind of telling the most quoted verse in the Bible. You think, what is that? You know, think about that for a second. What do you think the most quoted verse in the Bible is? We would all probably jump to, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, because we see that John 3, 16 uh, so often. You used to see it at every football game back when we saw football games. But actually, that's not the most quoted verse in the Bible. The most quoted verse in the Bible is, God helps those who help themselves. The most challenging thing is, is that that's not in the Bible. Now, 82% of people polled thought it was in the Bible and quote it as if it was in the Bible, but actually that was written or is even attributed to Thomas Jefferson. God helps those who help themselves. And cleanliness is next to godliness, which I think is attributed to Granny Clampett. I don't know that for sure. But these things are not in the Bible. But it's kind of telling what people think is in the Word. But it's actually not there at all. And people have Bibles, but they're not using them. See, having something and using it for its purpose, those are two very, very separate things. Now, there's a passage in the Bible uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing to uh, one of his young disciples. This guy is uh, going in to uh, lead and, and work with a church in the city of Ephesus. There's a lot of things to be done. And here's what Paul says to him. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God, or in some translations, or more accurately, the man of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the key, the, the, the key principle here of this passage, of what Paul's trying to get across to Timothy, is he's going in, he's going, he's going Timothy, the Bible is there. The scriptures are there for a reason. They have a purpose. They're there to be used. They're useful, and we need to use the scriptures. And it's amazing to find out how many people actually have Bibles, but they're not using them. They don't even know what's in them. And I kind of illustrate this point. I found this video clip. You remember several years ago, there was this movie with Tom Hanks called Castaway. And he was the FedEx guy who, uh, because of a huge storm, the plane crashes, and he's all alone on this deserted island in the middle of the Pacific. And um, he, he spends years there. And, uh, but he gets these FedEx packages, and he holds on to this package. Because this is kind of his lifeline. It's kind of like, you know, gives me a purpose other than just living another day. I've, I've got to deliver this passage. And a passage, a package. And uh, so he gets, at the end of the movie, he, he kind of delivers his package. And this is a film clip based upon that. Let's, let's go ahead and watch this now. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. 
That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, well, by the way, what's in the package? Nothing, really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. Okay. I, obviously, that wasn't Tom Hanks, but, uh, but how would you feel about that? You know, you're on the desert island. You had everything you needed to save yourself right there. Right there in that package. If you just opened it, if you'd have just looked inside, you could have been saved. And so much of the Bible is, is, is that way. I think I've shared this story before uh, in my family growing up. I remember this one scene. We all had, we always had family Christmases at my house. And I mean, aunts and uncles and cousins, they would all come to our house. And Thanksgiving, we would all draw names and Everybody would buy a gift for whoever's name they, they drew so everybody didn't feel responsible for buying gifts for everybody else and all of that kind of stuff. And Aunt Sue drew the name for Uncle Billy, this other uncle. And Billy was not in any way, shape, form, or fashion, did not pretend to be a godly man, did not want to be a godly man. Uh, and everybody kind of knew that about Uncle Uncle Billy. And um, But Sue got his name. So what Sue did, though, she bought him a Bible as a Christmas gift. And it was in a pine box. It was beautiful, gilded edge, brown leather. I remember this Bible. And in the Bible, she wrote a check for $50 to Billy, stuck it in the Bible, wrapped it up in the tissue paper, put it back in the box, wrapped it, gave it to him for Christmas. Of course, he opened the gift and he opens the box and he sees it's a Bible and he starts laughing and he's yucking it up. Oh, oh, oh boy, I guess I need this. Ha, 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 joke's on me, blah, 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 blah. Puts the lid back on. And I venture to say that $50 check is still tucked somewhere amongst the Old Testament of that Bible. He never opened it up. And trust me, Billy was the kind of guy he'd have gotten, he'd have cashed the $50 check. But it shows even like the FedEx got the, the Bible is meant to be opened. There's treasure in there. There's life-saving things in the Bible. And we've all got to take personal responsibility. And right now, more than I think any other time in history, we have the Bible available to us today. We, we, and I'm not talking about websites and podcasts and things about the Bible. I'm talking about the actual word itself, the Bible itself. We've got electronic versions. We've got, of course, I, I can go to the store. I can go to Walmart. I can go to CVS. I can go anywhere and buy a Bible. I can go to the library and check out Bibles. I get, there are organizations and, 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 and people who spend hundreds of thousands and, hundreds and millions of dollars to give away free Bibles. And like I said, in, in our devices, we've got free Bibles at any point in time. As a matter of fact, we don't have to even know how to look at things in the Bible. I can pick up my phone and go, uh, hey Siri, in the Bible, find for me Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Okay, I found this on the web for in the Bible, find for me Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Check it out. Okay, check it out. Oh, look, there's one version. There's another version. There's a commentary on that version. There's another version. There's another. 
I don't need, I, can, I just have to talk to my phone. Pretty soon in churches, the preacher won't even have to say, get your, out your Bibles and look up. All he'll have to say is, hold up your phone. For those of you with Apple, I'll just say, hey Siri, turn to. Oh, there my phone, trying to look it up for me again. For people with Androids, I guess I'd have to say, hey Google. Uh, but whatever, we don't even have to look it up. I can call up a Bible on my phone. I don't have to know where the books are. I don't have to know where anything is. I can push a button, take me to this book. Push a button, take me to that chapter. Push a button, take me to that verse. I was talking about this earlier. Phyllis was going, that's not fair. When I was a kid, we had to learn all the books. We had to learn them all in, in order. I, I remember, she, she's so right. Uh, growing up in church, we used to have, and I'm talking like second, third, fourth grade, um, in Bible class. We had Bible classes on Sunday. We had Bible class on Wednesday. Sword drills. Of course, the Bible is the sword of God. So we had sword drills. And what you would do is you'd set your Bible down on your desk and you'd put your hands flat on your desk. And then the teacher would call out a passage, you know, Philippians 4, 13, go. And then all the kids would grab their Bibles, hold your hand up if you're the first one there and you got to read the passage. And you'd jump to the Old Testament. You'd jump to the New Testament. And then sometimes she'd be tricky. She'd throw out a passage that didn't exist just to see how long you'd look for it before you realized that one's not even in the Bible. But this taught us. It taught us the Bible, where the books were, all of these things. We got to take personal responsibility. We don't even have to do any of that anymore. Now, I still think it's important for us to learn the book and to learn where things are, but you can get along without it. And I believe, I, I suspect, God is going to hold this generation and all future generations after us particularly responsible for our own spiritual growth because we have so much available to us. And yes, I think we are responsible for our own spiritual growth. Look at a passage with me. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Click onto that in your device or turn to it in your Bible. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you're no longer trying to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have, tra have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now let's, let's break this passage down a little bit. He begins by saying, we have much to say about this. We have much, we, we want to talk about this some more. What have they been talking about? If you look back in the context before this, before he says we got a lot, you know, there's so much more I want to tell you. He's been talking about Jesus being our high priest, what Jesus had gone through, what Jesus had done in order to be that high priest for us so that you and I can approach the throne of God with confidence. What he's really getting down to is ultimately talking about our relationship with God and how we need to have confidence in our salvation. We need to have security and confidence in our relationship with God. That's important stuff. How many of us wrestle with insecurity about God and our relationship with God and does God really love me and, is, and am I that important to God and all of these type of things? And the Hebrew writer has been talking about this and he's been saying, i got so much more to tell you about this. I want to talk about it some more, but I can't. 
I can't because, as he says in verse 11, it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. And that phrase, no longer try to understand, it's, 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 it's interpreted several different ways in several different translations. Someone say it's because you're hard of hearing or slow of hearing, but as I, I look up the etymology of the term and the Greek phrase, where it gets uh, really down to it, what it literally means is you're being mentally lazy. It says you're not putting forth your own effort to understanding. In other words, the Hebrew writer says, I want to teach you more about this. I want to go deeper into this. But guys, you're not helping me out. You're not giving me nothing. You're just sitting here wanting me to spoon feed everything to you. You're not putting forth your own effort. And you're not going to get this unless you put forth your own effort to really try to understand it. And that's so sad because what they're trying to teach them is so very important to their walk with God. And he says, because of this, you no longer try to understand or you're being lazy, mentally lazy and trying to understand this. He says in verse 12, because I, I can't get into this stuff. We got to go back and teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. And I feel this sometimes. How many times do we struggle with basics like faith? Basics like just purity, righteousness, holiness. Some of the the basic things, the things that the Hebrew writer will later call just, these are the easy stuff. This is the elementary stuff. This is the stuff that's, because we got to go back and hit all of this stuff again. And he uses that, that metaphor of milk and meat here, as he says in verses 12 and 13. He says, you need milk, not solid food. Because anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Now this is it's not unique here. Uh, Paul uses this same metaphor to actually illustrate the exact same point in 1 Corinthians thir uh, chapter 3. This is why a lot of people think maybe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews because it's the exact same metaphor, you know, milk being immature in the word of God or just a beginner in the word of God and the solid food or the meat being the more mature and advanced or experienced with the word of God. It's the exact same thing. But what I see is you can live on milk. He says right here in verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, you can do it, but you won't be mature. You won't grow. We're going to find ourselves, if I just live on milk, I'm going to be constantly wrestling with the same things over and over my entire Christian walk. I will never seem to grow and mature to, to, to being a spiritual adult and having some of these victories. And it could be that why, you know, in our nation, in our, in our culture, we have people who call themselves Christians. They call themselves followers of Jesus. But the truth is, is they're just immature Christians spouting off all kinds of ungodly, unchristlike things. And they're doing it in the name of Jesus. They make Jesus look bad. They make Christianity look bad because they're a bunch of little babies saying, this is what the Bible says, this is what they, and they have no idea because they never open up the book. Okay, all right, I got off on a little tangent there, but it, it drives me crazy. When I see somebody on the news and some news reporter, they don't know anything, they just grab somebody who calls themselves a Christian 
and somebody in the name of God or in the name of Jesus spouts off something totally ungodly and unchristlike because they're babies in the word. They're living on milk. And Paul is saying, that's not what he, you need solid food. And this gets down to the key point of what he's been talking about here. This gets down to the key of why he's bringing this up. He says, guys, solid food. And remember what he's talking about here when he says solid food is for the mature. He's talking about the word of God. He's talking about getting deep in the word of God. He says, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And what's encouraging about this, I see this. Anybody can grow spiritually. Anybody can mature. It's not just for the eggheads. It's not for the Bible nerds. It's not for those who go just go and get degrees or whatever. Anybody through constant use can train themselves to be mature, to be godly, to be spiritual, to distinguish good from evil. And the mature got that way through constant use. They help them. Now, I'm not talking about knowledge here, okay? I'm not just talking about facts and figures. There are many, many people who know a lot of Scripture. They know a lot about the Bible. And uh, many are very impressed. Oh, they're so smart. They're so knowledgeable about the Bible. But they're unspiritual. They have an unspiritual character. They have an immature spiritual character. Their faith is immature. And this is brought out. They can't distinguish good from evil. And this is brought out and seen when stresses really come, when hard times really come, when challenges really come, and then they make unspiritual decisions. And you realize they had the word, they had it, they even know it, but they weren't applying it. They weren't using it for the purpose that it was intended to be used. The people of God have got to stop dabbling in religion and grow spiritually. We need to stop playing church, okay, and start demonstrating the transformational power that occurs as a result of having a wholehearted, committed devotion to Jesus Christ and the Word of God. We can't come to church or log into this service and hear some singing, hear a communion message, hear a 20, 30-minute uh, Bible class or message once a week and expect to grow strong spiritually. It's not going to work. It's not going to work any more than saying, you know what, I'm going to eat one meal on Sunday and then that's it. I'm not going to eat for the rest of the week and expect to grow strong spirit, uh, physically. Okay, it doesn't work that way. Most of us, you know, I can't go to, you know, the several hours because, man, I'm just getting hungry. How are we with the Word of God? We need to be ingesting the Word of God every single day consistently. That's what it said. They grow to maturity by consistently training themselves, consistent use of the Word of God. And we stress this all the time. We stress the importance of having a personal devotional time. Carving out time. I'm just going to dig in the Word. And not necessarily just to encourage me, not just to inspire me, just to give me strength to make it through the day, someone to tell me, you're awesome, God loves you, don't worry, God loves you, but actually getting into the Word 
and trying to learn and distinguish good from evil, maturity from immaturity, to go from milk to meat. We talk about this in, in, in our family of churches. This has always been one of the founding principles is that own walk with God, building your own spirituality. Phyllis and I, it's one of the things that drew us to our family of churches. And in, in 1986, when we started trying to join that and, and get that, we found out we need more help. We need people to help us with this, some of this very thing. We moved to Boston, Massachusetts from Texas in 1987 so people could help us with this. That's how important it is. We've talked about the importance of, of taking notes during lessons, during Bible class or sermons. And even right now on our church website, the, the champagnechurch.org, we have, you can download the lessons, notes for this lesson, all the scriptures and the main points to go back and look at it later, dig deeper, to go from milk to meat. Going to the Bible classes that we offer in the churches, and we used to have them more regularly when we met together, but in talking with the elders, we've seen we need to really up our game in this, and we're really making plans and, and trying to do things to really increase uh, uh, the effectiveness of how the Word of God and teaching the Word of God that we can, everyone, train ourselves to be godly. And I realize when I look at this, if I'm not growing in the Word, in my spiritual maturity, I've got nobody to blame but me. Because it's there. Another passage I want us to look at. This is in James chapter 1. This is a passage that's plain and clear. I think it should guide us as we start this study here uh, on this foundational block on the word. But James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25. James said, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He said, anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in a mirror and then after looking at themselves, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever He says, however, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues uh, in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Guys, listening to the word is not the goal. Reading the word is not the goal. Going to church, logging into our service, that is not the goal. The principle is the word changing your life. That's the goal. Becoming better. Becoming more godly. The principle here is the same principle that we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Same principle. The word is intended to have an effect on our life. It has a purpose. It has a reason. And he says, do what it says. Let it guide you. Let it change you. And then James uses this illustration of someone looking at themselves in a mirror. Okay, and this is such a clear, beautiful illustration. It's like that picture right there. Mirror, mirror on the wall. What is up with my hair? You know, you look in the mirror. Why do you look in a mirror? We look in a mirror to check out our look. And is my hair okay? Okay, do I have anything in my teeth? Is anything, how am I looking? How does this look? And if something's wrong, you fix it. You make yourself more presentable. And what James is saying is, is yeah, you don't look at yourself in the mirror, find all the stuff that's wrong and go, eh, who cares, and walk away. 
You're wasting your time. Why even look at yourself if you're not going to do anything to fix what you discover is not right? And here's the point James is trying to make. He's saying lies. When you look at the word, listen to the word. And the word, like that mirror, it shows us what we need to touch up. It shows us what we need to fix in our life, in our character, in who we are. He says, then do it. Do something about it. Don't be like that person who looks at themselves in the mirror and says, what's up with my hair? And then walks off and doesn't do anything about your hair. We need to, we need to look at the word and let it, let it look at us and reflect what's really going on. The, the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 4, verses uh, 12, 13, and he's been talking about the word of God. You know, that's the one that says uh, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And it says at the very end of that verse that the word judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And again, I looked at that word judges. That's not meaning judges as in sit in judgment of, like um, passing sentence, guilty, innocent, whatever. What it really means literally says it is skillful at determining where our heart really is. It says the word of God, that's what it's there for. That's its, its intended purpose. It does... It determines are my thought processes. Are they right? Are they wrong? It's designed to help me evaluate myself, to help me grow in my thinking, my decision-making, help me grow in my character. Like that mirror, it reflects who I really am. Not who I want to be, not who I hope everybody thinks I am, uh, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's what's really, really there. But to see what's really, really there, why? So I can do something about it. We ask people to help us out with this, don't we? We ask people to help us out with our look. Have you ever asked your spouse, hey, honey, does this outfit make me look fat? Okay, now, let me just tell you, anytime your spouse asks you that question right now, fun fact, the answer is always no. <laughs> Are you kidding? No way, babe. But we ask people. Why do we ask people? Because we want to know. We want an objective perspective. How does this outfit look? Does this look okay? Does this da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? Okay, let's get rid of that picture because there's so much going on with that cute little kid. I don't want to distract from this point. But what the Word of God, James, is trying to say is I'm looking at it, and it helps us ask one another from the Word of God, is the way I'm acting, does this make me look selfish? Does this make me look bitter? Does this make me look godly or ungodly? Does this make me look materialistic? Does this make me look hateful? These are things that the Word of God reflects from our character. The Word helps us determine our hearts, our attitudes, our character, our decision-making, it, with the things we need to work on to help us to grow to spiritual maturity. To become more what God intends and wants and designed for us to be. So I want to ask everyone to commit to these next several weeks as we talk about the Word. Take advantage of this study. Take advantage of this time and say, you know what, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to take a deep dive into the Word to look at and let it reflect where I am. Don't get depressed about where you are. 
Some people don't want to look because they get depressed. Forget that. Look, you're already saved by grace, not perfection. But we look at it to say, what can I help grow in, to mature in, to become more Christ-like? Ignoring it won't make it go away. But looking at the word, and then the word says, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to fix it. Here's how you need to adjust and change. Then do it. Then we grow. This is not just an intellectual exercise. This is a heart exercise. This is a character exercise. We got to put the time in. We got to put the effort in to help us to grow. Because when we do all of this together, we grow together into a spiritual maturity through constant use of the word and we can train ourselves as a body as a family to truly distinguish good from evil righteous from unrighteous and grow in our spiritual maturity